Hello to everyone. We're thankful for another opportunity to get to look into the Word of God and for the Lord allowing us to have this opportunity by His grace, delivering us from sin, setting us in the kingdom. Hope everyone's doing well and the Lord has blessed you with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places. And we left off last time in this study of Elijah and Elisha. We finished the first book of Kings And in that last chapter, we saw Ahab be deceived, go out to battle, and there he was slain. They washed out his chariot in Samaria, and the dogs licked up his blood. And so the fulfillment of the word of God and God's judgment upon him, and certainly he died disgracefully in the warfare for rejecting the very commandments of God and going after those that are not gods. And we saw his son, Ahaziah, secede him as the king. So Ahab dies, he's buried, and his son, Ahaziah, steps in as king. He's going to have a very short reign. The Bible says there in that last chapter that he reigned two years over Israel. He's going to be cut off soon as well. And so now we'll go to the second book of the Kings. Uh, Second Kings, we'll pick up in chapter 1. So Ahab, and this is picking up now, right where 1 Kings left off. There's not a span of time in between. But Ahab dies, Ahaziah steps in. And in chapter 1 of 2 Kings, then Moab rebelled against Israel after the death of Ahab. So I think... You can see this a lot, uh, even today. Here, the leader, Ahab, who may have been one that ruled with an iron fist, one that would come and destroy those that would rebel against him. And so Ahab dies, and his son steps in as king, and Moab's going to try the new king to see how he reacts. And I believe you see that. Leaders switch and Uh, We want to try that leader to see how they're going to react, whether they're the same or not. And that's exactly what's going to happen here. Moab begins to rebel. And remember this, that if there's peace, it's of the Lord. If there's war, it's of the Lord as well. And these that rebel against the Lord here, God is going to bring rebellion against them. And Moab begins to rebel. And in verse 2, And Ahaziah fell down through a lattice in his upper chamber that was in Samaria, and was sick. And he sent messengers and said unto them, Go, inquire of Beelzebub, the god of Ekron, whether I shall recover of this disease. So let's think just for a minute about um, the way things were in that day. By all accounts of history that we have, and even small glimpses of the way that people lived, Um, in these days, the majority of folks had small houses, especially compared to what we live in today, and they were one room for the most part. They would sleep and they would eat and uh, they had one room that they gathered and done all these things. And on the roof, the roofs of their houses were typically flat and there was a set of steps that led up to the roof from the outside And when there would be company, when there would be visitors, when the family was going to get together and talk and visit, because they had all of their stuff in the one room downstairs, they would go up on the roof. 
and there they would be. And you can see even in the New Testament, Peter goes up to the roof to pray, a place separate, and you see that all through the book. And that's basically what you've got going on there. And something to take note of as well, you talk about God and his care for his people in the book of Deuteronomy, and maybe maybe this seems like a, a law or a commandment that is just uh, something that you would not expect to find in the Word of God. But in Deuteronomy chapter 22, I'm turning there. Be patient with me, please. In Deuteronomy 22 and verse number 8, When thou buildest a new house, when thou shalt, then thou shalt make a battlement for thy roof that thou bring not blood upon thine house, if any man fall from thence. So, you know, today in the United States and uh, uh, in North Carolina where we live, we've got building codes. There's building inspectors. If you're going to have a, a porch or a deck, you've got to have a rail around it. You've got to have pickets that are uh, no greater than three or four inches apart. So, and, and those are there to protect the life of people that no one would fall and get killed uh, or fall and get hurt off of that deck. And here they're, they're going up to the roof to meet and to gather and to visit and to talk. And God says, when you build a new house, you put a battlement. And what that is, that's a rail. Put a rail around the edges of the roof that you don't bring blood on you, that somebody don't fall and get killed and, and you be held responsible or accountable for that. So when you build a new house, put a rail around it, around the roof, so that people won't fall off of it. And that battlement there, kind of the same word that you see here in Second Kings chapter 1, the lattice. So he was in an upper chamber, and you know, he's the king now. He's not living in the little huts that most of the uh, nation of Israel is living in. He's got a much larger house. But God said, build a battlement that you wouldn't fall. I, I don't want to skip over that. And uh, I, I'm positive that there could be a, a great message preached from just that little insignificant law, the Holy Ghost bringing that to light. But know this, that God cares for the lives of his people right down to the very smallest and minute details. God cares and God loves for his people and he's watching out for them. You know, it could be that a neighbor that's visiting falls off. It could be that your child falls off. God says build a battlement to protect life. So the lattice, that means a network, not a network like the internet, but a network. And it's just like lattice that we see today, maybe of different materials. Um, but you know, you see a, a lot of times on privacy fences, underneath porches, you see the lattice and it's a net. It looks like a net, pieces that are woven together there and um, so he's going to fall through the lattice in his upper chamber that was in Samaria. Now, how that happened, I don't know. And uh, really, a lot of speculation could be done that that's to no profit. But the bottom line is that he's in the upper chamber and he falls through the lattice. He falls through the battlement. He trip and fell, however that it happened, and he's wounded. And the Bible says he was sick. 
And you know, uh, maybe a simpler understanding of it in that day, he may have burst his spleen. He, he may have had an infection. Some, something happened from the breaking of his body in that fall, but he's laying sick. He's not able to get up. It don't mean he had the flu, but he's in a bed and he's unable to do anything. He's weakened by this fall. And he says, go down to the God of Ekron and inquire of Beelzebub down there that I might know whether I'm going to recover or not. So he's sending them then to inquire of Beelzebub. The name means Lord of the Fly. So um, you think about Beelzebub, and he is just a, a false god, a false idol, one that man has made up and set in his place. And here is the king of Israel, the nation and the people that God has chosen out of all the world to reveal the word of God in, and uh, that God Almighty has sent even to this northern kingdom, Elijah and Elisha coming along behind him, that's wrought many mighty works, and Ahaziah, who has seen the man of God prophesy that Ahab was going to die and saw the very words that was prophesied come to pass before his eyes and still he's going to send down to the God of Ekron. Now, you know why that is. It's proving what is in the man's heart. When trouble, when affliction, when evil comes upon the life of man, and you know, the majority now, when trouble or affliction of any kind, it don't have to be persecution for the gospel, but when something would upset my natural life and the natural way of life, if it drives me unto the world and away from God, then that is a testimony and evidence that God does not dwell in the inward man of my heart. It's a testimony that I've not been delivered from sin. Sin is so excused today. People can be saved and live any manner of life. I'm here to tell you that that is not biblical. The biblical salvation is one that God dwells in the inward man, makes a new creature out of him, changes his thoughts, his wants, and his desires, and keeps him by the divine power of Almighty God. Now listen, so go down to the God of Ekron, Beelzebub, and inquire. In verse 3, But the angel of the Lord said to Elijah the Tishbite, Arise, go up to meet the messengers of the king of Samaria, and say unto them, Is it not because there's not a God in Israel that ye go to inquire of Beelzebub, the God of Ekron? Now therefore, thus saith the Lord, Thou shalt not come down from that bed on which thou art gone up, but thou shalt surely die. And Elijah departed. So God, speaking unto his prophet, God reveals to Elijah. Now Elijah, as a man, has no ability to know what's going on down at the king's house. He probably, of his, now of his own self, he doesn't know that the king has fallen and is hurt. But God reveals this unto him. 
and even says, Elijah, they're sending messengers down to Ekron. You go down there and speak the word of God under their hearts and thank God that the Lord is behind the gospel. It's not man that's doing it. And so often man is trying to do the work of God, but man cannot and is completely unable and unfit to accomplish the spiritual work of God in the hearts of men and women. I think of the Ethiopian eunuch as he was going back home and the Spirit of God brought Philip right to him. God had a message for him and intercepted him in his way, preventing him. I tell you, God prevented him from going back home without hearing the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ and being saved. And you know, for us today, it was Almighty God that ensured, that predestinated the very fact that we would hear the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ before we left this world lost and undone. And praise be to God for His glorious works in bringing us to the Son of God by His power. It was certainly Him that awoken us from the sleep and the slumber of death. So Elijah goes and he intercepts them and listen to what he says. This is the message of God. Is it not because there's not a God in Israel that you go to inquire of Beelzebub, the God of Ekron? So not because, if, if you take, and, and I, I realize maybe this is controversial in some people's minds, but if you'll research, you'll find this to be the case, that as this word of God was translated there were some English words added to help with the flow of the scripture. And they didn't do this under the guise of trying to deceive people to believe what uh, wasn't in the word was there. But those words in your Bible, they're written in italics. So if you look at verse number three, and we leave out the italics, this is what the word of God says. Not because, not a God in Israel, you go to inquire of Beelzebub, the god of Ekron. So the, they, they were sending uh, uh, the men down to Ekron to inquire of Beelzebub because Ahaziah didn't have a god down in Israel. Now, was there a god in Israel? I believe that there was. In Jeremiah chapter 2, and this is very familiar scripture. You've all heard it multiple times. In Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 11, Hath a nation changed their gods, which are yet no gods? But my people have changed their glory for that which doth not profit. Be astonished, O ye heavens, at this, and be horribly afraid. Be ye very desolate, saith the Lord, for my people have committed two evils. They've forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewed them out cisterns, broken cisterns that can hold no water. What were they doing? Ahaziah and the northern nation of Israel as a whole. And I realize we call back to First uh, Kings that there was 7,000 that was reserved by the election of grace 
that had not bowed the knee to Baal. But out of a nation of of two million people, what was 7,000 among that? It was a remnant and a remainder is all that there was left serving God. And the nation as a whole, the voting majority, if you'll have it, had turned and went after Baal. Now, the, the heathen... They don't turn from their gods, but they're serving the same ceremonies and the same false gods, gods that's never answered a prayer and never heard. They're still serving those. And that's where we see uh, Ahaziah here. He doesn't know the God of Israel. He's not, even though he's seen his works, he's seen his power, he's seen the fulfillment of his word, He certainly heard of the fire that was called down out of heaven, and yet Ahaziah doesn't know him personally, and when trouble comes, he runs down to the world. That is a sure sign that people are lost and undone and missing the work of God down in their heart when they turn to the world instead of God as trouble would come. In verse 22, is there, this is, I'm sorry, Jeremiah chapter 8, verse 22. Is there no balm in Gilead? Is there no physician there? So historically speaking now, Gilead was a place where they had this certain tree that they derived this balm from, and it was well known in that day for that fact. And there were physicians there and people would come, uh, make great journeys to come there in order to receive this balm. So when Jeremiah says, is there no balm in Gilead? Everybody in the country knew, yeah, there's a balm in Gilead. Well, applying that spiritually to us, is there not a God of Israel? I believe that's what Elijah's saying there. Is there not a God for you to inquire at? Is there not a God that sitteth on the throne of the earth and the heavens? Is there not a God that in him we live and move and have our being? Is there not a God that stands in control of all things day after day and that by his power we live and by his power and his commandment we die? Is there not a God that we could inquire of that could give us a true answer? Certainly there is. Certainly there was. Certainly God had men in Israel. We know of Micaiah from the chapter previous to this. He may have still been in the prison, but it was known that he was a prophet of God. Here's Elijah. It's known that Elijah is a prophet of God. Yea, there's balm in Gilead. Yea, there's a physician there. But then why isn't the health of my people recovered? If there is help, and if there is a God, and if there is forgiveness, and if there's mercy, why is it that people are not cured? Why is it that sin still rules and reigns over people's lives? Why haven't they been liberated from the carnal mind and from the flesh of man? It's because the balm has never been applied that this trouble has come, and instead of coming to God, we've ran to the very things of the world. Man wants profit and gain and pleasure all of the world and by golly we'll throw God and we'll throw the church (coughs) and we'll throw the gospel under the bus that we might have everything else according to the flesh. 
God is so often the last thing looked for and looked to and considered and sought after. We're not going to seek after God because we know what God's going to reveal to us. We know what the will of God is. And I believe this. The people of God, they know the will and the mind of God. Not because they're super intelligent beings, but because God by the Spirit has given us the mind of Christ. Why do people run to the world? In 1 John, and I, I realize this, we look at this scripture often, and I realize that that can be wearisome. But we find through the book that things are said and implied. You can see pictures of it. And then there's places where it's spoken so plain and so frank and so blunt that there can be no argument with the Scripture. I believe that's what we see here in 1 John chapter number 2, verse number 18. Little children... It is the last time. And as you have heard that Antichrist shall come, even now there are many Antichrists, whereby we know that it is the last time. They went out from us. So he's speaking now about Antichrists in verse 18. And in verse 19, they went out from us. He's got to be speaking of the many antichrists in verse 18. I believe if you read it and if you look at it and if you think about it for just a minute, you can see that. So the antichrists went out from us. They were inside the body of the church in that day. I'm not saying they were called out and saved. Not, not at all. They were antichrists. They were just exactly like Judas was. He walked with the disciples. He walked with Jesus. But he didn't lose his salvation because Jesus said he was a devil from the beginning. So that's what these are. These were antichrists from the beginning, but they've crept in unawares among the church. They've slid in privately. The church wasn't aware of them. They thought they were all right. The church, <coughs> excuse me, the church looked at Judas in that day and thought he was just as good as any of them. They even trusted him with a money bag and yet the man was a devil. Well, you know what's going to happen? The fact that Judas is an antichrist is going to be manifested in his rejection of the Lord Jesus Christ. The world today says you can't judge. Don't judge. Well, I can judge this by the scripture. Ahaziah was not a faithful believer in God because when trouble came, he did not seek after God, but he turned to the very gods of this world to look for an answer, to look for strength, and to look for help. But there is no help in the gods of this world. They're unable to deliver us from sin. So... These antichrists went out from us, but they were not of us. Be clear about this. Though they left the body of the church, they were not of us. 
They were never true members of the church of God that resides in heaven with the Father. They were never those that were called out and forgiven of their sins and regenerated. For if they had been of us, they would have no doubt continued with us. Now the scripture tells me that if they were truly, inwardly, a part of the church of the living God, had God truly done a work in the inward man to deliver them from sin, they would have, without question and without doubt, continued with the church. But they went out that it might be made manifest, that the church might come to the recognition that these people were not a part of the family of God. So when people go out, well, they're backslidden and they've fallen away and they're not what they used to be. None of that is biblical. You cannot find me that in the scripture. I tell you what I look to. This very verse here in 1 John, they went out because they were never of us. If they were of us, God would have kept them by His power and by His grace and they could not get away from it. So why did Ahaziah seek after the God of Ekron? Because that was his God. There was no other God in his heart. There was no God, the king and ruler of the world. Why does man run to the world? Because there's no God in their heart. It's being manifested what they truly are in the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, have mercy. What pitiful shape that the world is in, deceived, and going towards their own destruction. Now therefore, thus saith the Lord. The Lord's got a message anyway. You may not seek after him. You may not want to hear from him. You may know that it's going to be evil like Ahab did. But God's got a message. You're not getting up. You're going to die. Listen to what he says. Thou shalt not come down from that bed on which thou art gone up, but shalt surely die. And Elijah departed. So there's the message of God. You know what the message of God is today? How sure, and I realize this, we've got the uh, blessing of hindsight in this story. And Elijah says, you're not coming down off the bed. You're going to die there. How sure was that word? Would you say absolute, 100% sure was the word of God spoken by the mouth of Elijah? Well, God has said, not that we're going to die in the flesh. Anybody with any bit of sense, whether he wants to think about it or not, he recognizes that the day's coming, he's going to die in the flesh. But the death that God reveals is far deeper than that. God says you're going to die spiritually. That if you continue on in your sin and there's no repentance towards God, that man is going to be judged out of the books he will be found guilty and he will be cast into a burning lake of fire. That is what God has said. Now how 
sure is that word of God. It is as sure as the word spoken by the mouth of Elijah. Well, if Elijah spoke it, I would believe it. And that's exactly what the rich man said. If Lazarus would come back from the dead and speak it, they would believe it. But that's not, that's not true. They cannot believe it, no matter whose mouth it comes from, right? I mean, after all of the works that Elijah's done, they're not going to believe him. And they're not going to accept him. So it's given by God to hear, to believe, and to come to the gospel. And no amount of plain speech, no amount of educated talk, no amount of the wisdom and psychology of man is truly going to bring them to repentance and salvation in the Lord Jesus Christ. That'll bring them under the will and desire of man. That'll lead them unto destruction. But the God of Israel has got a word. And thank God today, the God of Israel still has a word to speak unto our heart. We'll stop there for today. I thank you for your attention. Pray for us.